kids, I'm glad that you're in here this morning uh, with us. I wonder, I wonder if you've uh, ever watched, maybe around Christmas time or Thanksgiving, one of those really old Charlie Brown cartoons. Anybody seen those? It's the great pumpkin Charlie Brown. I guess that's Halloween. There's the, there's the Christmas one as well. And, and in some of those cartoons, there are adults talking in them. And when the adults talk, what does it sound like? Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Yeah. Why does it sound like? Well, it sounds like that because that's exactly how it sounds to you when you hear adults talk sometimes. And so maybe you've been around your parents when they're talking to somebody and they're talking, who knows what, you know, it's insurance or some, something totally irrelevant. And then all of a sudden you hear your own name. And all of a sudden the want want turns into real words, right? Or maybe somebody actually turns and they start talking to you. And suddenly the conversation starts to matter. And that's what Paul does today. In this letter that he's written to his friends in a city called Ephesus, he expects for this letter to be read out loud in their church. And he expects that there are going to be kids in this room. And certainly he hopes that they've been listening the whole time because he's been talking about God doing some really big and really new things that are really important that kids need to know about. And he also wants kids to know that they have a very specific way of being a part of these new big things that God is doing. And so now it's like he says your name. He says, children, those of you who are living under the authority and under the care of your parents, there's a very specific way for you to be a part of this new big thing that God is doing. He's also going to have some things to say to your parents. So if you want to hear that, uh, pay attention the whole way through. You can listen to that part and take notes for them. This is in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. If you're using a sanctuary copy of the Bible, this is on page 979. Now, as you're able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, kids, you might not be surprised at what Paul tells you here, but you might be surprised at just how important it is how important it is for you and how important it is for what God is doing in the world. He starts here, very simply, in the first part of verse 1, children, obey your parents. Why does he say that? You might think, well, because he's an adult too, and he's on my mom and dad's side. He's over there with them telling me to shape up. Not exactly. He's got something bigger in mind, something better. We might think, well, it's because it's good for me to obey my parents. And it is, and we're going to get there. It's also good for you to breathe, for instance, and to eat, and to play. And Paul doesn't tell you to do any of those things here. What's the difference? What's the difference between breathing, eating, playing, and obeying your parents? Well, sometimes obeying your parents is hard. And when 
there's something that's really important and really healthy for us that's also hard, then sometimes we have to be reminded to do it. So if you're filling out the sheet that you got in your bullet, and this is actually one of the, this is the first of three things about obedience that are really helpful for us to see here. Obedience is sometimes hard. Sometimes it's difficult. If your parents tell you to clean up the living room, then obedience is a good idea in principle, right? If your Sunday school teacher were to ask you, is it a good idea to obey your mom and dad? Then you would say, yes. And then when your parents tell you to clean up the living room, then all of a sudden, idea gets put in a place where you start to wonder, is this a really good idea right now? Because you look around the living room and you realize at least half of the stuff in this room belongs to my sister. And if I have to clean up her stuff, what's going to happen? All kinds of terrible things are going to happen. She's going to grow up thinking that other people are supposed to do stuff for her all the time. And even worse, she's going to think that's supposed to be me. And this isn't going to work. Obedience doesn't seem like a good idea right now. But it still is. It still is. It's still good for you. But we might as well be honest about the fact that sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it is. That's one of the reasons that Paul has to actually say it here. The good news is that it doesn't end there. Obedience isn't only hard. We can also say, based on the way Paul talks to kids here, this is the next blank on your sheet, that obedience is pretty simple. It especially starts pretty simple. Obeying your parents, especially when you're young, doesn't take a lot of figuring out what that means. Your parents tell you to do something, and you do it. Or your parents tell you not to do something, and you don't do it. Now, simple doesn't mean easy. Sometimes it's still hard, but it's not hard to figure out what to do. It's your parents' job to do the hard work of figuring out what should we have each of our kids do? What should we tell our kids not to do? Uh, That I'll give you a little hint now. That's a harder job than it looks like for your parents. And you don't have to do that job for the most part right now. As you grow, you'll do more and more of that job. But especially when you're young, you have the gift of the fact that obeying your parents is fairly simple for you. It's also simple because Paul doesn't spend a lot of time describing why. He doesn't spend paragraph after paragraph giving you a long explanation of why obedience matters. He gives a very, very simple explanation. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. For this is right. This is good. This fits with God's really good plan for you. Your brain is still developing. It's still a little bit squishy, and it's firming up. And you are living in a place of protection while your mind and your body develop. While you turn into a person that's going to have a harder and harder time changing the older you get, while you're developing and turning into who you are, you get to do that in a safe place under the care of your parents who care about you, who love you, and who are seeking God's help in helping you turn into the kind of person that God intends for you to be. 
when you obey your parents, who's involved in that? Well, you are, and your parents are, but who else is in the room? This is really important to know, because it's invisible. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is the third thing about obedience. This is the longer word. Obedience is always supported. Obedience is always supported. If you don't know how to spell that word, just draw little supports under the word obedience, and that'll give you the picture. You obey your parents mainly as a part of your relationship with the Lord. Jesus is an adult too. And so it might be easy when your mom says, clean up the living room, and you're pushing back, and your dad comes in and says, obey your mom, to picture Jesus coming in alongside your dad and saying, yeah, obey your mom. And and Jesus does say, obey your mom. But that picture doesn't feel like Jesus is on your side, does it? And he is. He is on your side. As you obey and honor your parents, Jesus is on your side. He is for you. He is there for you. He is available to you. He cares for you. So, those three things. Obedience is sometimes hard. Obedience is pretty simple. And obedience is always supported. All those things come together. In this one big idea, this is at the very bottom of the section on children. As you honor and obey your parents, Jesus is on your side. So when you face those times when obedience is hard, and it's really hard to talk to your parents about how hard obedience is in those moments, talk to Jesus about it. He's there. He's with you. He listens to me when obedience is hard. And he cares for me and for your parents. So talk to him. Tell him what you're frustrated about. You know what else you can do when you talk to him? You can ask him to give your parents wisdom. It is true that your parents don't know everything. They do know some important things. We're going to get to that too. It is true that they don't know everything. And instead of trying to tell your parents why they should agree with you, Maybe what you should do is ask Jesus to change their mind if their mind needs to be changed. And you're welcome, I think, to tell them, I'm praying that God would give you wisdom. And if they have a problem with that, well, that's a different situation. I don't think they will. I'm praying that God will give... Ask God to give your parents wisdom. I'm giving my kids permission to do this. I need it. We need wisdom. So help your parents... Jesus is able to change their mind. He's also able to change your mind. And he knows which one is necessary. Maybe both. He's on your side, and he's on your parents' side. And it might seem like it's impossible to do both, because you're disagreeing with each other sometimes. But Jesus is able to bring people who disagree together. That's been happening in the book of Ephesians. And he's able to do that in your own family. So come to him. Remember that he is there for you. Now, in some ways, that kind of obedience is an action kind of obedience. Do what your parents tell you to do. Don't do the things they tell you not to do. That part's pretty simple. But it does go deeper than that. It goes deeper than action to really what we could call attitude. 
It's not just about doing the things on the outside that your parents tell you to do, while on the inside you're saying, I can't wait till I'm done with this so I can do whatever I feel like doing. It goes past just obedience to verse 2. Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. This is old. This is really old. This is older than what we have in Ephesians from 2,000 years ago. This goes... This goes centuries, hundreds and hundreds of years before what Paul writes, because Paul is quoting from a much older book. This starts in the book of Exodus. This is actually, and you may well know this, this is one of the Ten Commandments. Children, obey your parents, and more specifically, honor your father and mother. And you see this in Exodus 20, verse 12, and then He has to say it again to the next generation of people. The first generation all die, and then he has to say it again to them in Deuteronomy 5.16. Honor your father and mother. What does that mean, to honor your father and mother? Well, it means a lot of things, but I want to give you a couple explanations this morning. Because this is not just the things you do. This is your attitude toward your parents. This is how you think about them. It's also reflected in how you talk about them. So two things, two big things to remember about your parents that will help you to honor them inside and outside. The first one is this. Remember that God gave them their job. God gave them their job. Parents didn't write to Paul and send them enough money to say, hey, would you send a letter and include our kids and tell them to obey us? This wasn't the parents' idea. This was God's idea. God was the one who said, it is really good for kids to live in a safe place where they're cared for and guided, and I'm going to give that job of caring and guiding to parents. So remember that they're doing a job that they didn't only choose for themselves. They're doing a job that God gave to them. So you're honoring them, partly, we could say, by honoring their position their role, their job that was given to them by someone else. Here's the other one. You want to honor their position. You also, we could say, want to honor their experience. Here's here's how we would say it. They know things that you don't. They know things that you don't know. There are some things they don't know, right? They, They don't always know how you feel exactly. They don't always know um, what's normal to your friends. They don't always know exactly what life is like for you. Maybe you've said that sometimes. You don't understand. You don't know what it's like for me. And in some ways, that's true. In some ways, that was true for their parents, with them also. But they do know some really important things that you haven't learned yet. And God has put you in their care in order to help you to learn some of those things. One of the ways that you honor them is to trust them. Not to know everything, but to know some things that you don't know. To know some important things that you don't know. They might not know about the details of the specific thing that you're involved with, but they know the big picture in certain ways that you haven't learned yet. And you can be really helped by learning that big picture from them. I could have been too. Uh, There was a time when I really missed this and missed out on an opportunity as a result. When I was, gosh, I was probably about 12, 
I decided I need a hobby. And so I decided, you know what, for me, it's going to be baseball cards. I don't know if any of you collect baseball cards or sports cards, uh, but I, I started doing that. Some of you did like years and years and years ago, and I decided I'm going to do that. And so I, I started doing that in uh, 1986, and, and as I did that, I started uh, developing other friends who were doing the same kind of thing, and I had a really good friend named Paul, and Paul started collecting baseball cards as well, and we both kind of amassed these large collections of cards. And one of the sort of magical experiences that we would have would be going to a baseball card shop. I don't know, if you collect them and you go to one, there's something about going into one that's just, just an amazing experience for a kid. And so we would, we would go to these things and you'd have this experience of buying an unopened pack of cards and opening it because you knew it was possible to get rich as a result. If you, if, you, if you pull out the right card, then all of a sudden your fortunes are made. This was one of the things that appealed to me about collecting baseball cards is it was a great way to make money in principle. Now, that opportunity actually became a greater possible reality for me and for Paul when uh, we were about halfway through high school and we had the amazing opportunity to open a baseball card shop. So here we had had this sort of amazing experience of going to shops and, and these kind of things. And all of a sudden, we had a chance to actually open one, a real one. So Paul's dad was a real estate agent and he had bought a, a, a model home. And he was kind enough to have the garage of that home remodeled. So it was this real space for us. And we opened Triple Crown Sports Cards. And it was, it was a really cool, really fun thing to do. And I still have uh, framed the first dollar from, from that business, which is kind of a typical thing to do. The sad thing is it was, it was almost the last dollar as well. <laughs> it didn't work out quite like we thought. And you know why? Because I didn't listen to my dad. Here's, here's something that my dad tried to communicate to me. He tried, and he was gracious, he wasn't forceful about this, but he tried to communicate the principle that something is only worth what somebody else is willing to pay for it. Something's only worth what somebody else is willing to pay for it. And I knew that wasn't true with baseball cards. Because every month I got in the mail something called Beckett Baseball Card Monthly. And in that magazine was a price guide. And it showed how much each baseball card was worth. And so we knew how much they were worth. My dad didn't know that. He wasn't a baseball card guy. He wasn't part of this. He didn't know about baseball cards, so he didn't know what they were actually worth. Actually, he did. And we started to find that out. So we, this, this lasted for a little bit over a year. And Paul and I, you know, being halfway through high school, we had other things going on. And there were days when nobody would come in. And sometimes we'd have a rush, but not always. And, and it was not what you would call a successful business. But at the end, we decided, this was after about, it was about 15 months, we decided, you know what, you're going one way, I'm, I'm doing other stuff, we need to focus on other things, we need to close this up. It's been fun, but it's time to be done. And so we put out a sign in front of the shop that said, retirement sale. Here we are about 16, 17 years old and we're retiring. And here, here was our strategy for the retirement sale. First two weeks of the closing down process, everything was 10% off. Next two weeks, everything was 25% off. Guess what happened? Things started to heat up. People started to show up. The last two weeks, and we were pretty well locked into closing at this point, everything was 50% off. 
and things started going crazy. And you know what happened? We figured out what those things were worth. And they were worth what somebody was willing to pay for them. And it was too late to reopen. We'd already figured this out. But you know what? At, at some point, my dad will probably listen to this recording. So, Dad, you were right. <laughs> Sorry I didn't listen. If only I could go back, right? We could have really made a go of this thing. Well, we can't go back. And you know what? You can learn some things like this from your parents. They might not know about baseball cards, but they know about life. And this is not only about money by any means. This is about wisdom. Listen to what Proverbs says about wisdom as it compares to money. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Wisdom is better than money for so many reasons. And guess what? Your parents have wisdom to give you. Uh, if, they have, if they have money to give you and they want to give it to you, do you know what they're going to have to do? They're probably going to have to split it up. If you have brothers and sisters, they're going to have to share it. But if they give you wisdom, they can give you all of it that they have and then they can still give it to your brothers and sisters. They don't have to split it up. It's all available to you and it is so much better than money. Wisdom can teach you how valuable work is, for instance. Not everybody in the world knows that. A lot of people don't know that, and they kind of mess up their lives as a result. Wisdom can teach you how to talk to people in ways that really work, that don't blow up on you, uh, that really help people. Wisdom can teach you how to be a good problem solver. Sometimes that's really hard, isn't it? You have a problem in front of you and you just think, well, this is just impossible to figure out. Wisdom can teach you to be a good problem solver. And if you can be the kind of person who knows that work is really valuable, if you can know how to talk to people well, and if you can know how to solve problems, that's going to work really well for you in life. There are a lot of people, a lot of grown-ups, who don't have those skills. And it's a lot better than money. You can waste money, but it's pretty hard to waste wisdom. <clears throat> That's all practical. Uh, honoring your parents is a command that comes with a promise. Right? This is actually in the passage here. Children, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So God cares so much about kids that he, he made the first promise, the first commandment that was directly connected with the promise. If you do this, then this will happen. And he gave that to kids. If you honor your father and mother, it will go better with you. Now, what, what, does, this, what does this actually mean? Does he mean that you're going to live forever? Does he mean that he's promising a specific length of life? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean very simply that if you honor your parents, it will go better for you than if you didn't. That's the way it works. Sometimes it's very practical. If I had listened to my dad, then I would have had some opportunities that I missed out on. But that's all temporary. It's good, but it's temporary. And there are lasting results as well. 
of obeying and honoring your parents. You live under the, under the care and under the authority of your parents. And someday, you won't in the same way. You will still live under the care and under the authority of God. And God is invisible, right? Is it sometimes hard to remember that he's there? Hard to remember that his care is there? Hard to remember that he's in charge because you don't see him, right? So God has allowed you to practice living under the place where he's in charge and where he cares for you by doing it with somebody that you can see. Sometimes we forget that God is there, but it's pretty hard to forget that your parents are there when you live in the same house with them. God is preparing you through the sometimes hard, pretty simple, always supported process of obeying and honoring your parents to live under his authority and under his care. Obeying and honoring your parents is God's way of helping you to grow up knowing that you are not God. And to grow up knowing that it's really good that God is God. Children, obey, honor your parents. It's good for you. Now you can start taking notes for your parents. Fathers, verse 4, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, based on the language, this uh, is clearly specifically addressed to fathers. He's, He's referred to both fathers and mothers. He's referred to parents generally, and the word he uses here makes very clear that his primary focus, the primary responsibility falls on fathers. Now, of course, in this broken world, there are times when there's not a father in the picture, and the church needs to be prepared to care in those kinds of situations. By God's grace, God in many cases also allows this to work out practically as a team, and I am so thankful that that is the case. Uh, this This does not simply mean that fathers are the only ones who are active in the process of training their children, but at the very least, fathers are the ones who have the primary responsibility for seeing that this happens. And he gives a couple of specific pieces of guidance in the process of training their children. The first is a do not, and then there will be a do. The do not is do not provoke them. Do not provoke them. Do not stir them up to frustration and anger which is relevant, right? This, we have a tendency to do this without even trying. Parents are able to provoke their children to anger. Paul is not promising that if you follow this, that your kids will never get angry at you. Sometimes kids get angry for the wrong reasons. He's simply saying, do your best to not be the one who's responsible for your children getting angry. So, how do we do that? Well, we might start by asking the question, what provokes you? What provokes you to anger? And we can identify those things pretty quickly. Um, When somebody else is in a position of authority, and they use that, that authority in a way that is unpredictable, in a way that's arbitrary, where you don't know what to expect from one day to the next, and you really don't know what's driving their decisions, and you don't feel like you can trust them, you feel like it's it's arbitrary, and it's frustrating, and it's provoking. We want to we do our best as we guide and direct our kids 
to be as predictable as possible, not in a perfectionistic way, but we want to do our best to make sure that we really are driven by principle, that we're driven by their best interests in such a way that, that in a general way, they know, they know what's coming. They know what to predict. Certainly, hypocrisy is something that provokes us to anger. When somebody is constantly preaching about something that other people ought to do, and you can just see straight through it to the fact that they're totally ignoring what they're saying to other people. Uh, that's angering. It's really, really, the, the fire burns when that happens. We want to avoid that with our kids wherever we can. You know what else provokes you to anger? The other person's anger. Uh, this is Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs it up. And so we want to be careful with our own anger that it doesn't provoke our children to anger, that it doesn't demonstrate that, that, we are, that, that we're in this for ourselves, that we're really, really scared that our kids are going to mess things up for us, and that we're really angry for ourselves when that happens. We want to be careful with all of those things. In a more positive sense, how do we not provoke our kids to anger? How do, we, how do we move away from that as parents? The first one is, is this. Pray a lot. Pray a lot. Foster an impulse to pray. Pray for your kids when you're talking. Uh, moms and dads together when you're talking about your kids. Dads especially, take the initiative you know what? Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord what to do here. We need his help. Pray a lot. Pray with your kids. When things start to get heated and there's kind of this back and forth going on and you're trying to guide them into what's wise and it feels like they're not cooperating and it feels like it's just time to bring down the hammer, you know what we really need to bring down in those times? We really need to bring down the Lord's help. And when we bring down the Lord's help, it really has a tendency to quiet things. You might try this sometime if this hasn't been your pattern. It's, it may be the last thing you feel like doing, so I'll warn you about that. But when things start to heat up, say to your kids, you know what? We need the Lord's help with this. So let's ask him. Let's pray. Let's ask him for help. Pray a lot. Um, as much as you can, this isn't on your sheet, but this is just something I'd like to send with you. Sympathize as much as you can. Try to remember what it was like to be where they were. And don't come to them and say, I know exactly how you feel. But do come to them and say, you know, I experienced some things kind of like this. Here's what it was like for me. Let them know that you've been there. Sometimes we forget that we were. Be careful what you tell other people about your kids. Be careful with their privacy. Maybe you've uh, noticed that with young parents, their topics of conversation become totally different from what they were before they were parents. All of a sudden, about half of what they talk about is their kids' bodily functions. It's really kind of a strange dynamic, but this really happens. The kinds of things that they talk about in the potty training process and diaper changing and all this kind of stuff, they would never have talked about this with their friends before, and then they do because this is what they spend so much of their life dealing with. It becomes normal. And that's okay. I mean, you know, a, a one-year-old baby doesn't care. There is a tendency for those kinds of things to stick. And for us as parents to share things about our kids that if our kids knew about that, probably wouldn't really appreciate it. Now, there are times when we need counsel 
when we need help. And we do have to ask for that help sometimes. But I want us to hold those things in reserve, to be very careful about sharing about our kids. We provoke our kids to, to anger when we forget that our authority is on loan. Either when we forget that we have it in the first place and we just indulge them, that provokes them over the long haul. It gets really frustrating for them even if they don't notice it. And we certainly provoke them uh, when we forget who the authority belongs to, when we turn to legalism instead. There's a better replacement for provoking. The, the word for discipline here that's translated discipline in uh, verse 4 is the same word that was used earlier for what Jesus does for the church in 529, that he nourishes the church. So there is, this is not only a matter of, of correcting kids, this is a matter of raising them up, caring for them, providing for them. There is a, there is a care aspect and there is a correction aspect to this. So we have to know, as parents, when to speak and when to act. When to speak and when to act. It's hard to know. Uh, Proverbs 26, verses 4 to 5 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly. That's verse 4. Then verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly. In other words, uh, sometimes we need to not be drawn in to a foolish conversation. Other times we need to speak to the foolishness that's actually there. How do you figure out the difference? I'm going to repeat myself here. Pray a lot. Pray a lot. We need to know when to speak and when to act, and we need the Lord's help in order to do it. Allow their development to be a process. This is a hard one for me. I want solutions now. I want answers now. I want the inconvenience gone now. It is a process. Our loving Father works with us through a process, and we need to do that with our kids as well. Allow it to be a process. This is the, the second blank on your sheet under train up. As we pray, as we seek the best way to raise our kids, let me encourage you as much as I can, don't trust in systems. Don't trust in systems. People will sell you systems. They'll make promises to you about their systems. Have a new kid uh, by Friday. Have a new kid by Friday. Um, those systems sell, and I'm buying, because I want to know what's going to work, right? Glean wisdom from systems, but do not trust in systems. I want to know what are the things that I do in order to get this right, and that's not God's plan. It's not his plan for raising us up. It's not his plan for us raising our children up. We can get lots and lots of good wisdom from systems, but the minute we trust in them, We've totally missed the point. And what's the point? Paul talks about the point when he writes to Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.15, just briefly. He says, hey, you've been, you, you, Timothy, you've been raised in a home where you've known the Scriptures. You've been told these things from an early age. Remember those things. Remember how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The aim of raising up our kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, the aim, the long-term goal, is not 
their obedience to us. That's part of the pathway. The aim of raising our kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is the gospel, is faith in Jesus, is the thing that's of first importance as Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 15. The point here is to use your borrowed authority to promote faith in Jesus. One of the major risks that our kids will face as they develop and as they go through the bumpy road of becoming a human being, and we hope in each case learning what it means to become a Christian, one of the major risks that they will face is the idea that I can't be good enough, and therefore this isn't for me. This idea that, yeah, I I can't be a good Christian. I've tried, maybe my parents can, maybe my high-functioning brother or sister can be a good Christian, but I've tried, and I keep failing, and that's not something that Christians do, so I guess this isn't for me. We've seen this happen. It's tragic. We don't want our kids to get the picture that the call on their lives is, trust Jesus to get in and then be good enough. We want to encourage them daily through all of our training. We want that all aimed at trust in Jesus. Trust in him. Use your borrowed authority to promote faith in Jesus. One way to do that, one way to do that is to be appropriately honest about your own struggles today. Talk to them about what it means. Talk to them about what it, where it's hard for you to obey today. Maybe anything. It may be something that's similar to what they're going through. And describe to them, you know, I don't. I don't always obey, and I don't put my trust in my own obedience. My trust today is in Jesus. It's in Jesus alone. I know it's hard for you. I know this part of the process is hard for you. Jesus is here for you today. It's important for you to obey me as my child. It's far more important for you to trust in Jesus. That is for your whole life. And that's where we want to be aimed with them. Father, here we are again coming back to you, and rightly so, because we all need you. As kids under our parents' care and authority, we need you. We need you to help us. We need you to help them. As parents, we need you. We need you to give us that daily wisdom to use the daily training opportunities uh, to give our kids human wisdom, to to give them wisdom for human life, and so much more than that, to give them the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ. We can't do this on our own. We need the power of your Spirit at work in us. So we pray that you would guide us into it. In Jesus' name, amen.